We're kicking off this brand new series. Um, we're calling it Win-Win. So I want to explain that first. And what I have there is the subtitle is How the Greatest Sermon Redefined Winning. Just out of curiosity, how many of you, when I say Sermon on the Mount, that's familiar to you? Okay. So not, not everybody knows what that means, but Sermon on the Mount is just the, the chapters Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And it's called Sermon on the Mount. Follow me here. It's really deep. Because Jesus taught a sermon on a mountain, right? That's why it's called Sermon on the Mount. And, and it is, without a doubt, the best sermon ever preached. You would not waste any of your time spending the rest of your life in these three chapters. I wouldn't recommend you neglect the rest of the Bible, but they're so packed. They're so full of, of truth about the kingdom. And what they really do is they redefine winning. They, they, you've heard the expression win-win, right? Like you try to get to a win-win in your negotiation so everybody leaves. If you've ever bought a car, you, you know what win-win feels like when it happens. You also know what win-lose feels like. You know, like you walk out going, man, I think that I paid too much for that. And they're like, they paid too much for that. <laughs> you know? Or, you know, you feel like, man, I got a real deal. And they're on the inside going, how am I going to feed my kids? But, like, win-win is you, the deal happens and you feel good about what you paid and they feel good about the price they charge and everybody's, everybody wins, right? So that's win-win. Now, what we've done is a little play on words, so we're doing win and then W-H-E-N. Because what Jesus does in these three chapters is he, he flips everything upside down. And he's going to start talking about what winning really looks like in the kingdom. Um, most of us in the room, if we've set any kind of New Year's resolutions, I mean, you might not have called them that, but most of us probably have goals for 2020. We've probably gone into the year thinking to ourselves, well, this time next year, at the end of this year, I would like to, and then fill in the blank, right? I would like to, whatever it is. And however, whatever you put there explains how you define a win, right? I would like to be healthier. Well, then health is a win for you. I would like to look better. I gave that one up years ago. Um, I would like to be stronger. I would like to be smarter. I would like to read more. Whatever you put there, it, it kind of reveals your win. And that's important, right? But, but it also, I'm, and I'm going to say this gently, it also reveals your worldview. It reveals what you value. And so here's what's going to happen for the next, because this, <laughs> buckle in, y'all. We're doing this from today until Easter. We're going to be in the Sermon on the Mount from today until Easter. You're like, man, that's a long time. It is. We're going to go slow. We're just going to take our time. We're going to really see what Jesus is saying in, in these three chapters. It's that revolutionary. But what Jesus does is he starts to flip upside down what a win looks like. And, and here's why. What he's done to this point, um, let me find this scripture so you can see it. It's in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. So Matthew 4, 17, here's what it says. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So before we get to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has already been going around. He's already been preaching, and he's been preaching one message, and, it, and that was it. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So he's been talking about this kingdom, and y'all are thinking, I wish you could preach that short, right? One sentence, done, right? So he's been going all around 
the region preaching this one message that the kingdom of God is near and we should repent. And so what's going to happen in the Sermon on the Mount is he's going to start to explain what that looks like. Because all people have been hearing is there's a kingdom coming, there's a kingdom coming. And in their mind, they had an idea of what a kingdom win would look like. And a kingdom win for them would have been stuff like Jesus is going to come and he's going to get a whole bunch of men and they're going to get a whole bunch of weapons and they're going to overthrow this really wicked government that we can't stand. And we're going to finally be the ones in charge. That feels a lot like new year, new you. All about me. It's all about me, Jesus, right? It feels that way to me. But Jesus is going to say, wait a second, I am bringing a kingdom, but the kingdom has a different set of wins. If you work for a company, you probably know what core values are, right? They might have made you memorize them. It says this is what we're about. This sermon is Jesus at the beginning of his ministry saying, hey, you've heard me talk about a kingdom. Now I'm going to tell you what we value. I'm going to tell you what the kingdom is all about. I'm going to tell you what the wins are in the kingdom. Make sense? Okay. So here's your big idea for today. Have you ever been to Vegas? It's okay. I'm not going to just raise your hand. Be proud. I've never been there, but like, like can you ask that in church? Uh, well, I went there, but I think what I did there stays there, right? <laughs> you've, you've, you've heard their, their tagline is what, what happens in Vegas. Your big idea today is what happens on the mountain can't stay on the mountain. What happens on the mountain can't stay on the mountain, okay? Now, Jesus it says in Matthew chapter 5, uh, the first two verses, here's what it says. One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. That's the, way, that's, that's the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. So if we, if we start asking ourselves, like, what's, what's he doing? Why is he, why is he sitting on a mountain? Well, he's sitting on a mountain because that's what rabbis did. Not necessarily on a mountain, but rabbis would sit in their little seats, and they would sit to teach. So when he sat down, what he was saying was, I'm here. I'm like, I'm your rabbi, I'm your leader, and I'm going to teach you. He's teaching his, who's he teaching? Disciples. And so some commentators have said, well, he's just talking to the 12. But we know from the end, if you go to Matthew chapter 7, we know that the last verse, like these are bookends, the beginning is he sat down to begin to teach his disciples, and the end says, and all the crowd was amazed because he taught as a man with authority. Like their teachers didn't, Right? So he's sitting on a mountain, he starts to teach his disciples, and he's going to lay down these foundational truths. First, things are foundational. And he's going to tell them some amazing things on top of that mountain. And what we're going to know by the end is that he's not going to be content with them just to sit on a mountain and listen. He's telling them things on the mountain that can't stay on the mountain. Two points. That's all I got today. Number one, we love the mountain. We love it. And I'm not even saying that's a bad thing, right? We love the mountain. We're not alone in that. Here's a couple verses for you just to jot down. In Exodus chapter 32, we find Moses on the mountain. He's getting the Ten Commandments, 
And I would say that Moses loved the mountain. Do you know why? He didn't have to deal with people. <laughs> yeah, I know you're like, I said that amen way too loud, right? Even extroverts get tired of people, right? I mean, Moses, he's up on the mountain. He's getting the Ten Commandments. He came down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments, and who knows what the people had done while he was gone. They had made an idol, right? And they had said, we threw all our gold in the fire and out popped this calf, right? What in the world? No responsibility. That's crazy. Made him so mad he threw the tablets down. And you know, in that one moment, he had to have been thinking what a lot of us think a lot of times. I wish I could just stay on the mountain. God, why'd you make me come back down here? You could have just like, you just, I'll go back on the mountain with you and hang out. And you just, you give them their, their, the Ten Commandments, just give it to them. I'll just hang out with you. Translate that into today's society. God, church was so good, man. If I could just stay here in this service, if we could just worship all the time, if I could just go to camp and never come home. Any amens from the teenagers in the house, right? If I could just stay at youth camp, right? Whatever your favorite conferences you've ever been to, if I could just stay in that conference. If, if I didn't have to go back, if I didn't have to go to work tomorrow, God, I would be so much closer to you if I didn't have to deal with those people. We love the mountain. Peter, Peter in Matthew chapter 17, he saw the glory of Jesus. That's, we call it the Mount of Transfiguration, right? So he's on top of a mountain, and he sees Jesus, I mean, really glowing, right? His total glory is revealed. And, and here's Peter's response. If you read it in Matthew 17, he says this, Lord, let, let me build some shelters. Let's, let's make camp for all the southern campers, right? Let's make camp here and let's never leave. And Jesus is like, are you kidding me? I didn't come to stay on a mountain. You've, you've seen my glory here. It's a great moment, and I'm not discounting it. But this isn't why I came. we got to go down off the mountain. What happens on the mountain can't stay on the mountain. And it, we want it to stay on the mountain because we love mountains so much. Mountaintops are meant to be temporary, not permanent. So, <laughs> Winnie and I were talking about Jesus is the reason for the season. And she said, God, what a marketing strategy that was. And it's like, you know some preacher said that in a sermon. And somebody in his congregation worked for some, like, hallmark or whoever made that big and popular. And they took that thing and ran with it. And that preacher every day gets up and goes, I said, that was my big idea. And nobody's paying me nothing for it. Right? Jesus is the reason for the season. I'm going to flip it today. You know what mountains are? Mountains are seasons of reasons. That's what mountains are. They are seasons, and they're good seasons, but they are seasons of reasons. That's why when you get away, and how many of you would like to get away? I would like to leave all my distraction behind, and for my, my New Year's resolution is to go away. Next year, I'll think about maybe a resolution to come back, but for this year, I'm going to just go away, right? Have you, have you experienced this? You go away from all the distractions in your life, and isn't it amazing how clearly you begin to hear God? You put the phone down for a weekend and suddenly like that weekend you're like holy cow like I've never heard God more clearly because that's what the mountaintop is for they're not bad they're just not permanent they're, they're temporary seasons of reasons it's when God can get us alone on a mountaintop and begin to say this is what you were made for 
This is why I called you to do this. He's saying to his disciples, this is what our kingdom values. This is what it looks like to win in the kingdom of God. And when you do certain things, W-H-E-N, you will win, W-I-N. We're not going to even get into all the things today. That will happen next week. But we're going to start next week with the Beatitudes. And what he says is, when, W-H-E-N, you're poor in spirit, you're going to get the kingdom, W-I-N. And he's going to go through the next three chapters with that. But it's a, it's a total flip of how they saw things. When I thought we were going to be in charge, and he says, no, you're going to be humble. And that's going to be the win. It's a season of reasons. It's, it's the why. It's the value. And, and that's one reason why we love mountains. We love them because we see so clearly on them. Any hikers in the room? Like hiking up a mountain, not always so much fun, right? But when you get to the top, I'm going to act like I've done this a lot. When you walk up the last few feet and you see what we would call a vista, is that right? You see like the, the, the view, the reason that whoever blazed that trail, they blazed it for that reason, to see that view. When you get to that place, holy cow. That's why Miley Cyrus wrote that song, The Climb, right? <laughs> she, wrote it, she wrote on top of a mountain, or whoever wrote it, wrote on top of a mountain. It's all about the climb, y'all. I'm here. Woo! We, we went to Klingman's Dome. Um, I don't know if you've ever been there, but I would recommend it. It's a great place. And I remember we got to the top. <laughs> I love <laughs> when she's just not an outdoors person. She just said, never again. <laughs> never again. She said, but it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I've seen it. I don't need to see it again, right? Right? Take a picture so I'll always remember this moment. But, man, when you see it, like, I just want you to know, like, that's why we love mountains. We don't necessarily like the climb. We don't necessarily like the people. But we love the mountaintop. And when, and when you have those moments with Jesus, when you have those moments of clarity, whether it's a convention, whether you just get away, whether he meets you in your room while you're sipping coffee, Wherever it happens, and you would call that a mountaintop experience, that's not a bad thing. It's a great thing because it's a season of reasons. He starts to give you what you need. He reminds you, this is what I've called you to. And those are great, great moments. But we get like Peter, and we're like, I want to stay here with you. So, Jesus, here's the plan. I'm going to build us a shelter, and we're going to live together on this mountain. And nobody else is invited. Right? I'm not going to join a community group. Because peopling is hard, right? I'm just gonna I'm gonna have a community group of me and Jesus, and in CCB I'm gonna mark the I'm gonna mark it as attendance limit of two, <laughs> and it's gonna have a red full next to it. This is me and Jesus. I might not even let my family come, right? And what I want you to see is that even though we love the mountains, here's your second point: we're actually built for the valley. You're built, you're made for the valley. We love the mountain, but we're made for the valley. And Jesus is going to talk about this for the next three chapters. He's going to say things like, hey, listen, you're a light set on a hill, and don't put it under a bushel. Don't take your light and make it a mountaintop experience inside of a safe church where you're never around bad people. 
He says, you weren't made for that. You were made for the valley. So what I'm telling you here on the mountain is you're a light. And now I'm telling you to take that light down into the valley and let your light shine before men so they would see your good deeds and give glory to God. He's going to say at the very end, listen, we'll put these up. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Here's how he finishes the whole thing, a little sneak peek to the end. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain come in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Listen, Jesus is saying, you're all going to get rained on. But only a certain group of you are going to survive it. And it's not the group, listen closely, it's not the group who took the best notes on the mountain. It's the group who lived it out in the valley. We love the mountain, but we're made for the valley. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Oh, my goodness, I pray this so often over my kids. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us new in Christ Jesus so we can do. Now, listen, if you're here and you've been following Jesus long enough, the minute I say the word do, you're like, "Mm -mm, brother, watch yourself. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. You fix and start saying we're going to earn our salvation. Don't be talking about works, brother. Jesus says that you were actually created in Christ as his masterpiece so that you can do. This would be the same, this is Paul writing, but he's referring back to a, 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 mess, a verse that Jesus has, John 13, 17. This is what Jesus says at the end of one of his teachings. He said this to the people that listen. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. If you're sitting here today and you're taking notes on one of our gathering note cards, note sheets, if you flip it over, you'll see that verse at the top. Do you know why? You're not blessed because you came to church and learned something. You're blessed because you went out there and did it. That's what Jesus said. I didn't make it up. He said you're blessed if you do them. Now that you know them, and it's good to know it, but now that you know it, the blessing comes in doing it. And so what happens on the mountain, we love the mountain. Hey, just teach me, Jesus. Teach me, Jesus. Teach me something new, Paul. Bring something new today. Teach me something I don't already know. And I think most pastors would say, do, do what you already know, and then we'll figure out something after that, right? Don't sit here and learn more until you've already done what you know. And Jesus says, you're blessed if you do them. And Paul says, you've been created as a masterpiece so that you can do things he planned for us long ago. What I want you to see is that you were literally made for the valley. When God created you, he created you as a masterpiece, which means a lot of us just feel like a big old hunk of rock. I'm not sure I'd even say I'm a hunk, but a big old whatever of rock, right? And you know what, um, what God sees when he looks at us? He sees the masterpiece already in us. And he just spends our whole life chipping away the stuff that is hiding that. 
you don't need me to preach amazing messages in 2020 for you to do the will of God. You don't need to discover who you are. You need to remember who you are. You're already the masterpiece. And you were created specifically to fit the work that he has for you to do. Which means if he called you, he said, I, want, I, want, I need somebody, somebody to speak truth to a culture. Then somebody in this room, or a lot of somebody's, might actually, we would say that they're insane. They might actually feel like they're called to run in politics. I think that's crazy. But that's because I'm not made for that. But the person who was made for it would be like, that's what I'm supposed to do. You've had moments in your life where you have done something that you might have gotten, even gotten paid for, and the first thing you thought was, I would do this for free. You know why? Because you were made for that. You were made. The gifts of God in you, who you're called to be, the destiny he has for you, it's already inside you. Like pat your belly. It's somewhere in there, right? And what God wants to do this year is he wants to activate who that is. And I'm, he doesn't, I'm not it. It's his Holy Spirit that activates that. And so even all the teaching that we hear, what we should always be saying to ourselves is, God, how do you want to activate this in my life? Because I know that you're calling out who I already am. He's teaching his disciples on a mountain, but he knows what they're called to do in the valley. And so he keeps teaching them, like, you're made for this. You're made to go back down in that valley and live this out. Here's what I know about us. We're funny people. Our goal is to have a storm-free life. Right? God's goal is that you would have a storm-tested life. He said it at the end of this sermon. We'll talk about that more on Easter Sunday morning. But he said that your life is tested by the storm. If you have the New International Version, if you read the end in Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27, what you'll find is that two of those verses are exactly the same, word for word. And it describes a storm that comes against both people, those who built on the rock and those who didn't. You, you and I, we have got to understand that one of the wins, W-H-E-N, in the kingdom is that there will be storms in our lives. It's going to happen. But he's saying the win, W-I-N, is that you are tested by the storms, that you come through those storms and your house is still standing. I don't know what you live in. I don't know. We're surrounded by a lot of trees in our, in our house. Um, they're not all on our property. Some of them are on the property next to us, and they're dying. And so when storms come, we do this a lot. <gasps> Did you hear that? Did that sound like a tree cracking? Was that a branch? Like, trees could just literally, like, <gasps> we've had trees, like, fall and miss the house. Like, they're, and that's a scary feeling. What God wants for you in 2020 is that you could go through storms and not worry about your faith standing. He wants you to have a storm-tested life. We, we fight to have a storm-free life. And this is a huge difference. Because if, if we think the goal, if we think the win is to never feel storms, man, you're going to be a frustrated Christian. You've got to redefine that win. The win is to come through the storm. 
with a faith tested like gold. Notice the book ends, and then we'll start to, to wrap this up. So verses 1 through 2 in chapter 5, Jesus goes up on a mountain, and it says that he sat down to teach the disciples, right? So here's what I want you, what I want you to see. There's a place for teaching. There's a place for learning. But it leads to the power for doing. The end. So that's the one book in. Go to the other end, Matthew chapter 7. We already know that he talked about how there's rain coming and storms coming and your house is either going to stand or it's going to fall. But the last verse, the one I love so much, is that it says the whole crowd was amazed because he taught with authority like none of the other teachers did. So was it in his delivery? Do you think it was his delivery? Do you think like Jesus had good stories, had good jokes? He had better dad jokes than I do. I mean, what, what exactly did Jesus have? What was the authority? And I believe it was this. I believe that when the religious people taught, they taught in such a way that people said, God can never do that. But when Jesus taught, people were empowered. Who they were was activated. And they walked away going, holy cow, let's do it. He had authority. And so he didn't just take them to a place to teach them, but he also gave them power to go do it. So I would imagine this crowd was running off the mountain to get to the valley. We tend to run away from the valley. I would see them as running towards it. However, and here this is a big but, right? In between the place for teaching and the power for doing, in that little area in the middle, that's a place, a season that is often filled with frustration before fruitfulness. And here's why. Because for the next three months, you're going to hear us talk about kingdom values. I'm going to preach it, and I'm still going to hear it. And as we say the words, as we read the words, we're going to suddenly realize, holy cow, I'm not living up to that. Are you serious, Jesus? Like, if I even look at a woman with lust, I've committed adultery? I mean, what do you do with that? That's the place where we'll say, well, I'm, I'm more frustrated than I am fruitful. Because I don't think I'm even living that out. Are you, like, seriously, like, if I call somebody a fool, it's like murder. I mean, don't raise your hand, but how many of you called somebody a fool this morning? In the lobby. <laughs> right? Like, we're going we're gonna to read that stuff, and we're, and we're going to be tempted to do one of two things. We're going to be tempted to get religious and say, well, what I did wasn't that bad. But I think what God wants to do is he wants to wreck us. He wants us to take a hard look at who we are. Search me and know me, O God. That would be Psalm 139, the last two verses. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the ways of life everlasting. He wants us to take a hard look at ourselves, allow him to examine ourselves and actually feel the frustration of, oh, God, the kingdom's values are this, but I've been chasing the world values over here. And that's why I said at the beginning what's going to happen over the next few months is worldviews are going to clash a little bit. We're going to find that we've been living maybe according to different standards than what God called us to live for. And that's hard 
But the payoff, here's the payoff. If we'll just embrace that, if we'll kind of live with that frustration, the payoff is a storm-tested life. Though the rain comes and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it will not collapse because it's built on bedrock. And I love that. I love that. God's doing this. He's saying, look, I'm going to bring you to a place where you're going to feel like you're drowning. Where you're going to feel like my standards are so much higher, you'll never meet them. And either religiously we're going to try to fake it or we're going to try to achieve those things that we really can't do. Or we're just going to come to God humbly and say, Lord, you have revealed that I am, in fact, drowning. The reason I feel like I'm drowning is because I'm drowning. And I need you. Can I just tell you something? That's not a prayer that you only pray when, you're, when you haven't received Jesus as your Savior. That's a prayer that we should probably be praying all the time. Oh, God, save me. Right? Save me. Empower me, yes, and then save me from myself when I fail in these areas that you're calling us to do. I recognize, God, that I would rather stay on the mountain and never have to come face-to-face with my failures. Because, listen, you don't fail on the mountaintop, right, usually. Usually you're not at a church conference selling drugs, usually. You're not at a church conference cussing people out, usually, right, you're not at youth camp, right, just like blessing people. Usually, those are the moments that we feel like we, we succeed. We're like, man, I, I, don't read my, I don't even read my Bible like this at home, but, man, I love it here. I'm, I'm reading it all the time. I can't, I can't get enough. It's the valley where we tend to fail, and that's why we try to stay away from it. And Jesus is saying this, and then we'll, we'll wrap up. Jesus is saying this, I am not afraid of your failure. What I'm afraid of is your hypocrisy to act like you never failed. I need you to see that my kingdom win is actually that you would become poor in spirit and recognize that I'm your only hope. And what he really needs in Albemarle is the church of Albemarle to recognize that that's not a sinner's prayer that you pray one time and get saved, but it's a prayer that we should pray daily. God, save me. Continue to save me. Continue to lead me. So I'm going to close this with a, with a, a video of a song, and I'm going to call you to respond to it. Um, it's an interesting song. Lyrics will be on the screen. It's by a band called We the Kingdom. I love that band. They'd be well worth your time start looking them up on Apple Music or wherever you get your music. Um, but this song is called SOS. And I really, I really fought through whether we should play it today or not. Um, but I want to start the series with you knowing that this is a place where it's okay to ask God for help. And so if you're in a season right now where that's you, this is a song for you. Okay, so they're going to lower the lights, and we'll just play it, and you guys respond to the Lord.
I pray that that will be your theme song because that's a song of a valley, right? God, I'm coming down off this mountaintop, and you've taught me truth, and you've told me who I am. You've reminded me of who you made me to be, and my life isn't matching that. 
And what I'm praying over the next 12 weeks is that you would find a safe place here where you could come and do more than just spectate, where you could come and do more than just take notes and sit on a mountaintop and learn, but you could actually begin to find healing in the areas that we tend to want to hide from others and even from God. And that we would stop to stop seeing songs like that as the kind of song that bad sinners sing. And we would start to see those songs as the kind of songs that children of God sing to their father. Like, holy cow, God, I know you're my dad, but I don't know how I ended up where I am right now. And I just need you to come get me. Right? Would you close your eyes just before we wrap this up with a just singing through the simple chorus together. It's kind of a downer way to start a series, isn't it? I know you're super pumped about coming back and hearing the rest of it. But I want to know this, like who in the room this morning, what we've talked about resonates with you? Just raise your hand and say yes. And I just want to pray this morning for you and for me. That we would courageously walk up on a mountain every Sunday from now until Easter and listen to what the Master says. And then we would courageously walk down off the mountain and go and live it out in the valley that we were made for. You were made for the valley. You were made for the valley. And so, Father, right now, I pray over these hands, God, that were raised. Mine was one of them. Lord, I'm just asking that you would fill us with the courage, God, to listen. I want to be in a season of learning with you. I want to lean in. I want to take notes. I want to hear truth. But, God, I'm not just here for the learning. You're calling us off the mountain to go to the valley. There, there are people in the valley. David fought Goliath in the valley. That's where the battle was won. And, and I'm praying, God, that we would step into that valley of decision. That in 2020, we would be people of the valley that are constantly sharing with those around us the truth that the master has spoken to us i thank you for for i thank you for camps i thank you for the well i thank you for the, for seasons encounter i thank you for things that we do here at the gathering that are very much mountaintop god you're you you have those seasons because you're making us for the valley and i pray that we would be a courageous church lord and that we would see amazing fruit we wouldn't have to hide who we are, God. We could bring it to the Father and know that you're going to save us. Would you just stand together? And can we close this morning? Because I don't, I don't want you to walk out of here like, God, we're such bad people. Because we... We, we have a good father, don't we? And I'm hoping this is a song that Phil's playing. It's a, it's a sweet score. <laughs> we have a good father, you know? And that's who the focus is on, right? 
This is not worm theology. I know people that believe that men are we're just worms and just God should step on us. No, we're children of God, right? But anything good in us is because he's a good father. Anything, and when he, when he teaches us hard things and says, no, hold up, your values are a little different than my values, it's not because he's going, shame on you. He's going, come on, man, I got something better. I've got something better. We are the ones that feel like worms, right? But he's like, no, no, don't stay there. Don't dwell there. I'm a good dad. I'm going to lead you to something better. And I want you to walk out this morning knowing that a good father is teaching us on the mountain, right? And he's calling us. Do you have something you want to say? <laughs> I figured that was going to happen. Do you want to do it before we sing or after? Okay, come on. When people walk to the front with a notepad and Bible app. Okay, um, so while Paul was preaching this, um, immediately uh, one of the verses that came to my mind was the scripture about moving a mountain. And um, it's in Matthew um, 17. Um, when he said, um, it was because of your lack of, this is from the passion, um, because of your lack of faith, I promise you, if you have faith inside of you, no bigger than the size of a small mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move away from here and go over there and you will see it move. And while he was giving us this message this morning, all I could think about was that our comfort place is on top of the mountain. And if we don't come down off that mountain, we can't ever speak to it. And get it to move. So we have to come down. So that was just, it just hit me really hard. Yeah, that's really good. Be bad to be on the mountain, speak to it, and move while you're on it. That's good. That's really good. All right. Listen, close your eyes. You already know that you know the words to this song. You don't need to, you don't need the screens. You just sing this chorus with, with the band as they lead us. Just you and the Lord, all right? Just you and your good Father. You're a good, good Father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. Oh, who I am. You're a good, good Father. It's who you are. Who I am, who I am. 
All right, so just before we pray and get out of here, let me make sure I was very, very clear. I want to make sure you get this, right? What I'm doing this morning is giving you permission over the next 12 to 13 weeks to wrestle and struggle a little bit with the kingdom values that he has and maybe what we're living for, right? So that you don't feel this condemnation of, holy cow, I'm really messed up. But yeah, we are, but he's teaching us something new, right? We're going to go after something new. He's got something better for us. I want you to know this. The people on the mountain that sat closest to Jesus when he delivered the Sermon on the Mountain, they changed the world. They're the ones that, as imperfect as they were, changed the world. We're having church here this morning because of what those men did when they came off the mountain. Turn to the person next to you and say, we can do it too. That was awful, y'all. That was awful. So you... I got to do a lot of better preaching over the next 12 weeks for you to believe it. We can do it too. Try that one more time. Tell the person you see, we can do it too. Ask me how I know. Because you're a masterpiece created to do good works that have already been prepared for you. And those works will change the world. Father, in your name, Lord, we thank you that what we hear on the mountain, even this morning, God, you're going to give us opportunity during this week to share that with people as we walk in the valley. We're made for it, God. And I pray that you'd be glorified as we do good things in the city and with people that we're around. In your name, Jesus, amen.